This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Getting ready for a long weekend. Most of us, anyways. Fourth of July, tomorrow. Out of the office Friday. If you're anything like Curtis Rogers, my co-host today, you already have your out of office message alerts up. It's true. It's absolutely true. And you set those up probably a week ago? Uh, Yes, absolutely. It was a week ago. I set them up. So part of my job here is to uh, produce Mariner games and whatnot. And there's a lot of downtime in those because they're three, three and a half hours. So, I mean, there's there's something to be done there. So Setting I just, up away messages. Yeah, so I figured, you know what? I'm going to set up my away message. And apparently I had set it up for a couple days earlier than I had – that then my vacation is going to be, mm-hmm. but yeah, I have one foot out the door right now. I I'm I'm not even wearing headphones right now <laughs> because I it's yeah. not even paying attention. Stacy's had to wrangle me back into the studio. She's like, ah, 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 no, vacation is, doesn't start yet. Is, yeah, not yet, Curtis. Yeah, it's not the holiday. Yet. I guess I guess I'll stick around for an hour, but no more. No more, no than, more that. than that. Yeah, that's uh, all I can promise. The 4th of July holiday, I'm going to call it a weekend, holiday weekend, uh, is highlighted by a Mariners series against the Cardinals, and that'll go ahead and kick off our timeline. Let's see what's on the timeline. Uh, so let's start with some injury updates. Mitch Hanniger, uh, who suffered, what was the opponent that they were playing? They were playing the Houston Astros. Houston Astros hit uh, a ball off his groin of area. His groin area very sensitive area, had to have surgery, uh, and he's now suffered a setback in his rehab and won't return to the lineup until after the All-Star break at the earliest. So the All-Star game is next Wednesday, so we're looking at, say, like two weeks at the earliest? Uh, Yeah, so after probably the 11th or so, that's when you can kind of expect to see a little more action heading Mitch Hanniger's way. Uh, He did resume some baseball activities a week ago, but now they've put those on pause. You just want to see him back out there because it was it's it's an injury you can't plan for. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully you can never you can kind plan of for. yeah you can prevent it. There are preventative measures to take. Not if you're living on the wild wearing side. Wearing a cup, yeah. Not if you're not afraid of danger. Yeah, yeah. which uh, he clearly wasn't that day. I mean, just what it's can rough. you do? What yeah. can you do? Well, it'll be interesting too because I think. He was one of the players that people, maybe the player that people initially were looking at as kind of the core of this team going forward. There's still some players that folks are getting excited about, excited about J.P. Crawford being one of them, um, Malik Smith at times, Jared Kelnick when you look at some of the younger guys still in that system. But Mitch Haniger certainly was someone that they thought, well, this is going to be the leader of this team. This is going to be their star for this year and hasn't been especially stellar. And so I think that uh, if you're him, you're looking at it, you know, you're like itching to get back out there and kind of prove um, that you can be very much a leader in the future of this team. So Braden Bishop uh, has a follow-up doctor's appointment where he'll find out when he can resume baseball activities. Still no update on that, but yet another Mariner and a long list of injuries for this team. Yeah, Bishop with the ruptured spleen, which he miraculously played through for a game or two and then felt incredibly sick, went to the doctor's office, and they were like, oh my gosh, how did you mm-hmm. how did you play through this? Yeah. I think the doctor said he'd only seen that kind of injury in 
car crash victims. So because he just kind of was operating, yeah, like, that. like he was like, oh, fine, just ah, apparently rub yeah. some dirt in it. Good. It's one of those things where you hear about the injuries, uh, not just the injuries, but then the rehab after that athletes have to go through, and you realize all the time that the times that you felt so tough for being like, yeah, I didn't even put a band aid on that scratch. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and I and I went to work. That's right. Oh, yeah. I slogged through my 99-degree fever. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's tough. Yeah. I'm not going to make fun of you for that one. Uh, The Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest is tomorrow. Joey Chestnut will attempt to break his world record of 74 dogs and buns in 10 minutes. You know, I love a hot dog on the 4th of July. It's a quintessential summer. Is it a sandwich? I don't know. Is that what you're going to ask me? I was going to ask, do you... could you eat 74 within a year? Within a year, yes. I I wouldn't want to, though. Hot dogs, at no time do I want a hot dog unless it's a barbecue and I'm just kind of eating some of every single thing. Yeah. But it is, it, it feels summery. Have no ever... one's eating a hot dog in December unless you're a monster. <laughs> no, yeah. Unless there's something seriously wrong with you. Pull up to the Thanksgiving Day table, put some or, cranberry sauce let's face on it. it. Yeah. You got your kids for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Chop it up into some macaroni cheese. Speaking yeah. to my own child. Uh, have you ever watched the hot dog eating contest? No. They did a 30 for 30 okay, on it Okay, so last I saw night. this and I didn't know if it was a joke. No, it was real. I believe it. Yeah. Like, no, I don't. Was, obviously, I There didn't. was a legit like rivalry between Joey Chestnut, the American, and Takeru Kobayashi, who like set the world on fire for competitive eating. He was the Michael Jordan to Joey Chestnut's LeBron James. Interesting. Yeah. Who's ultimately the best? Uh, Joey Chestnut has... Joey Chestnut actually got beat a couple of years ago by another guy out Some there. Some no-name. I'm going to say Kobayashi is... That's my guy. Yeah. Who I'm riding with. you're kind of a classic. Yeah. You're like, look, I'm going for tried and true. I'm going for Michael Jordan. Often imitated, never duplicated. There you go. Uh, sad news today. Former Kentucky and New York Giants quarterback Jared Lorenzen passed away at the age of 38. This was as a result of an infection and kidney and heart issues. So sounds like just kind of an ongoing battle for him. Obviously, awful news. And I know, um, at least in-house here, we have a couple East Coasters that were just especially sad, and Jessamine being one of them. Tom Long being Island a native, Giants fan. Yeah. Tom being a Giants fan. That were just so heartbroken for all that he meant for so many people. Um, he might be the most unique athlete we'll ever see. He was a 300-pound quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he could launch the ball like crazy. And he he was mobile, too. Like, you don't see that kind of size and that kind of right. athleticism from any from any old athlete. And he was able to, despite being oddly built, he translated that into an NFL career. Yeah, he was the butt of a lot of jokes in his career because of his size, because he did not look like your stereotypical quarterback. He didn't look like somebody that is 6'4", 220 pounds. He was like 6'2", 300 pounds, mm-hmm. but he made it work. He made his entire career uh, off of, you know, just kind of being doubted. And it was it, he was one of the most fun athletes I think we'll ever see. I, I remember him mostly as the quarterback at Kentucky uh, because he was Eli Manning's backup yeah. in New York. So you never really got to see the field there. But uh, sad day for the college football world. Sad day for uh, just people who uh, – we're fans of his, and uh, I, I can, I'll can i count myself among that group. 
and getting into one of a uh, kind of an ongoing interesting these, story to these us. These next two stories. These next two really, are related. I'm going to say they're related. Yeah, and they're two stories that they're we passionate. have talked about so much on this show. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Alliance of American Football League founder, Charlie Ebersol has responded to a class action lawsuit filed by the league's former players that they were the ones who committed fraud, which is just, I can't. So this whole thing, uh, the AAF, who, by the way, is founded by billionaires, yes. um, already they haven't paid uh, players that they essentially promised that they would have like a three-year career. They, I mean, They haven't paid broadcasters, I know. They haven't, yes, broadcasters, um, all kinds of random staff. Like, there are people waiting for paychecks. This is so messed up, and I cannot wait for the inevitable documentary about this league because I initially, I wasn't championing in it. But I, I thought it was really interesting. It, it got was, off to a great start. It got off to a great start. It was pitched as almost a kind of vocational program where they'd be like, yeah, guys will be able to uh, have some additional kind of like learning opportunities uh, that come along with that. Players who signed up for it, you know, you could say, well, they should have known it was a startup league and there's a risk there. But why would you doubt it when it's funded by people that have a lot of money? They have an investing partner that has a lot of money. I mean, I know that came a little later, but still. And they, they, the contract is for three years. They have uh, apparel partnerships for for multiple years. You know, like there's really no reason for you to to think, oh, this is going to crash and burn. Yeah, and it it crashed and burned in a way that I don't think we've ever seen in a professional sports league. It makes the original XFL look like they had it all together. It does, and like the original XFL didn't it was have a hot mess. Yeah, and but they didn't have lingering lawsuits and people not getting paid no. like they just went they just went quietly into the night after one year this uh, this is going to rage on for as long as Charlie Ebersol drags his feet and these people continue to not get their paychecks that they have deserved since the league began that's the thing i hope it does go on because they deserve to be paid and i think this just seems like this like passion project that Charlie Ebersol had and then got bored with it and there are real people's livelihoods at stake um, last story here, related, I think. The private island used to promote Fire Festival. The Alliance of American Football League of Festivals yeah. and vice versa is up for sale, if you can afford it, pretty pretty good deal, $11.8 million. Um, so do we start the GoFundMe now? I think so, yeah. You can follow us on our, on our Twitter accounts. We're going to get that going uh, as soon as we're done here uh, tonight to raise $11.8 million. It'll be... Uh, you know, what would we use that island for? A festival. New pitch. A new, better festival. Yeah. And we create an app to go along with it. We get some star power attached, maybe like an early 2000s kind of like uh, either like a hip hop or pop kind of icon. Bring him or her into mm-hmm. the project. I'm thinking we get Chingy yes. involved. Yes. And they tried Fire Festival. They have not tried Earth Liar Festival. Festival. A wind festival. Yeah, Earth, Earth Festival fire, or wind. wind. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, this is all a great idea. So if you guys want to contribute, uh, kind of be part of our festival, let us know. Um, that would that would be wonderful. Yeah, we appreciate this. We just need thousands of dollars of contributions. Well, and we can't like per guarantee, person. Yeah, and we can't guarantee you'll get that money back. But, but you'll get a ticket. Yeah. And Front you, row. you'll get to go there. No, no guarantees on if you'll have anywhere to stay while you're there, but, but it is, it is it's it's is. a once in a lifetime experience that you'll not want to pass up. 
Coming up next, CBS Sports released an article today that said the Seattle Seahawks have the toughest schedule in the NFC West. Our question, does that even matter? That's Seattle Sports at Night next. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Rost. Join here with Curtis Rogers. So, uh, Curtis. Yes, Stacey. I have a debate to get into with you because I want to see if we agree or disagree on this. And uh, I, I sit pretty strongly on the side of... It really shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I can see both points. So why don't you take the opposite? Let's okay. figure this out. Why it I've should decided matter. for you. Yeah. All right. So CBS Sports uh, a columnist, John Breach, came out with, and again, this is subjective, but I think that it's he makes a lot of fair points. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think most people would agree. He came out with his ranking of the toughest schedules in each division. Uh, today reads his... Uh, released his ranking of the uh, tough schedules in the NFC West. So here's how he did it. He looked at Super Bowl odds from the Westgate in Las Vegas. Um, So already the Rams are going to have an advantage because a team with higher Super Bowl odds is going to be seen as a stronger team. A team with a tough schedule and already low Super Bowl odds is going to be a little bit stacked against you. Mm. Uh, And then he looked at the first three games of the season because he thinks that they have just kind of the best indication of how a team will play throughout the year. And he also says that teams that go winless in their first three games almost never make the playoffs. Now, that's not a never-never, because since 1990, four teams that have started 0-3 have made the postseason. That was in 95 with the Chargers, 98 with the Lions, and 2018 with the Texans. And to be fair, to Seattle's credit, no surprise here, they fall uh, into the toughest uh, schedule in the NFC West. To Seattle's credit, they have started uh, 0-2. They've started 2-2 and in their first four games. I think a season that they started 2-2 and was the Super Bowl Forty Nine season. Yeah, and then they started 2-4 and one of those right. years uh, when Jimmy Graham was around. Mm-hmm. And it was like DEFCON, was it? Is one the the biggest DEFCON, or is it five? I don't know what this is. Okay. Let's say it's DEFCON three, because it's right in the middle. But there was a lot of panic when they went two and four, and then I think they finished the year out like ten and six or nine, six and one. Mm-hmm. It was one of those years. Uh, and Oh, it would have been ten and maybe ten, five, one. I think if they were nine, six and one. With Jimmy Graham, they didn't get to less than 10 wins since until last year. Really? I'm pretty sure. Whoa. No, the last season was the first season of Russell Wilson's career with less than 10 wins. Let's let's Look, you know what? Pause. Digging. Great radio. Yeah. But pause and look that it up. Was, Curtis. Yeah, they That's went right, 10, Curtis. They went you know 10, why I know that, one. Curtis? Cuz I'm your Seahawks insider. You are. You are That's my right. Seahawks That's insider. Right. You, yeah. Yeah. I could I don't know why I tried to challenge you on that. See, this is the problem with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Here's the rank of the NFC West Someone schedules. Someone gets leading Mike, and all of a sudden, <laughs> whoa. Uh, so coming in with the easiest schedule, they ranked them 24th overall in difficulty, is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so they said that part of the reason they get that is that the easiest stretch will come during the first two weeks of the season. And they kind of have an easiest stretch and roughest stretch for for all teams. So no team gets off just kind of scotch-free. But uh, the second hardest is the, or excuse me, the second easiest is the Los Angeles Rams. They rank 20th 
in their kind of difficulty measurement. Uh, kind of the same thing that it's just geographically, sometimes it's easier for them when you're a team in California and you're playing another team from California um, or a team from Arizona. It's easier for you to do that than it would be for Seattle. Um, but they also have a, a pretty good beginning to their schedule. The Cardinals have a difficulty ranking of 17th. Um, and then the toughest schedule in the NFC West is the Seattle Seahawks. Now, it jumps from 17th here, so you got 24th, 20th, 17th. The Seahawks have the seventh most difficult schedule, according to the CBS Sports rankings. So they note a couple of things. First, they say that um, they have a really, really tough stretch in November where four out of five games are on the road. And in kind of a weird addition to that, all four uh, of those games are primetime games. And Seattle is the only team in the NFL to have four consecutive primetime games. Now, Seattle has been good in primetime. Mm-hmm. Notoriously, one of the best teams in primetime uh, in Pete since Carroll's, Pete Carroll's been yeah. here. Um, but not always the case on the road. I look at the schedule, and I think it definitely is a disadvantage right now for the Seahawks. I think you've got the amount of road trips that they make this season to the East Coast. Five different times they will play a game in the Eastern time zone. Four of those will be 10 a.m. starts, which is pretty unprecedented for the Seahawks over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. where they have been in that 1 o'clock start no matter the location because you know Fox or CBS wants them in that prime time I will say we normally get maybe two. Yeah, this year it's four, plus you have a a fifth East Coast road trip uh, against the Eagles Week 12 on Sunday Night Football, uh, which is coming off a bye week, which is nice. But I think that's going to be tough. You've also got two games against the Rams, who will probably have a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. That's just Mm -hmm. how it works in the NFL. But I don't expect the Rams to finish below 10 wins this season. I think they could finish 11-5, and maybe 10-6 and this year. But you've also got an improving 49ers team, and we don't know what a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo looks like, someone who's going to have a full season of games ahead of him. But even if he does go down, Nick Mullins isn't bad. We he saw, did. We I saw mean, him he put up 400-plus yards against Seattle, I think, right? Didn't he do that twice last year? Maybe. But he definitely did it one time. Uh, and then the Cardinals, probably the biggest mystery – in football right now because Mm -hmm. we don't know how Cliff Kingsbury's offense is going to translate to the NFL game. We don't know how Kyler Murray's skill set is going to translate to the NFL game. So right now, six games on your schedule, question marks for all of them. It's not a given anymore that you're going to beat Arizona or beat San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And last year we saw San Francisco beat Seattle for the first time in probably, what, four or five years so now, all of a sudden, that's not a gimme anymore either. So it gets tougher and tougher. You look at the teams on the schedule, probably the easiest games I'm looking at right now, maybe at home against Tampa Bay, and that's going to be against Bruce Arians, who, as Seahawks fans know, he loves he loves coaching up here. I believe he's won three or four in a row in mm-hmm. Seattle. So All while wearing transition lenses. Yeah, and a Kangol hat. Little known fact. Yeah. Down with transition lenses. No. Uh, Yeah, me neither. Sorry if anyone's wearing them. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying this to your face. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't get down with transition lenses either. 
You know, all of that is a great point. And to be honest, if we're not just debating it, I probably kind of fall in the middle of being like, look, I get it. The big thing that that's going to be the deciding factor is that you have no idea what the NFC West really looks like with the exception of the Rams. And if you're the Rams, you probably have no idea what the NFC West looks like at all because for them, they're thinking, you know, the Seahawks still have a lot of young guys and we don't really know what kind of team this is going to be other than Russell Wilson has always given us a hard time. They've still got guys like Bobby Wagner in there. Actually, they don't. They have Bobby Wagner in there. That's it. Um, And, you know, I would say as a counterpoint, I think that no matter what, if you're a good team, you should be able to win. And that sounds silly and it sounds elementary and it sounds like I'm not giving any excuses. But the Seahawks have always had a really kind of tough go with uh, travel miles. They've always been one of the more traveled teams in the NFL just because of where they are. And it didn't stop them from being good in 2012 and 13 and 14 and 15. Not only that, but a lot of this is stuff where it's based on stuff that we think we know, but how often I would say about half the things that we kind of predict are end up being wrong. And that's just the way that's just how this happens, right? We think of everything that we know and we try to be right. We really do. But a lot of the times it's hard to predict literally where the ball is going to bounce. So you look at this team and, you know, I think Seattle's seen as a tough game going against Cleveland because everyone's really excited about Cleveland right now. Well, what if they don't take off in the way that people think they will? The New Orleans Saints, uh, at least you're playing them at home. I think they'll be tough. I think it's hard to argue that they'll suddenly drop off, but you don't know, but I don't think that's going to happen. But you look at half their schedule being against NFC West opponents, essentially, maybe a little third of their schedule being against NFC West opponents. Say that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't what you thought he was. What if it takes Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury a while to get off the ground? I think that people get excited about things that are new. And last year, we were having conversations about, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be like an all-pro quarterback this year? You know, what's, he got what's paid like one. Like? He certainly did, but I'm... I think no one saw the Cardinals offense being as bad as it was. And why would you? They had, what, the number seven overall pick, brand new quarterback, um, one of the best they, running backs David in the Johnson league. Came exactly. Back, and, and everybody and, thought he was going to run for 2,000 right. yards. Right. I had him in my fantasy football and league was, with my first pick. He was awful last year. It was year. bad, and I lost. And, uh, and that's the real reason and that's why the we're key. talking about this. And yeah. so, just what I'll say is. I don't really think my argument that good teams find a way to win is that elementary when you consider that a lot of the stuff that we kind of predict really depends on the actual performance of players. Yeah. Oh, absolutely it does. Uh, You know, we have concerns about the Seahawks, but, like, you look at the opponents that are staring the Seahawks down on their schedule, and... I wonder if the perception of coming to CenturyLink Field across the NFL is what it used to be, where it was the most feared place in the entire league. I wonder if teams in Baltimore who are going to play the Seahawks this season coming up week seven, I wonder if Vikings fans who are going to visit in December. Do you really think, though, I wonder that if teams they... thought CenturyLink is hard, or is that just kind of the fan narrative that gets people excited? And really what you're thinking when you're coming here is that's a really disruptive team and a disruptive atmosphere. 
it was playing against that defense. I think there there was a perception throughout the league. Maybe it wasn't spoken of as much as it was across the fan base. You know, whoa, we're the most intimidating. We're the loudest fan yeah. base in the NFL. But you look at the record that the Seahawks put up in their best years. Mm-hmm. I think they went what like fourteen and two over twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen at home. Yeah, uh, and they just absolutely would blow teams out when they came in to the point that you know NBC and ESPN and and they wouldn't schedule the Seahawks in prime time. Yeah, be, or they would, and they just you know be like, well, this game's going to be a thirty point blowout. Why are we doing this? I I don't know if that level of fear exists anymore throughout the does. NFL. And so that, I think, is something that could be playing against the Seahawks because I remember when I saw the schedule released years ago that you just automatically gave the Seahawks eight wins at home. Now it's like, okay, maybe they could they could get five, six wins at home and then get four or five on the road, get mm-hmm. together a 10-win season, roll the dice, hopefully you get into the postseason – it's it's not what it used to be. Coming up next, could there actually be labor peace between the NFL and NFLPA? That's on Big If True on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Ross here with Curtis Rogers. Don't forget you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Send in your questions for our final segment. You can ask us anything you want. Text the Coors Light text line at 710-710. We'll be rounding up uh, those questions during this segment, um, and then we'll start reading them off next segment, but you can text them in anytime over the next 30 minutes. Put the lighters down. Put the black cat fireworks down for just a second. Step pick away up, for yeah, a minute. Pick up the phone. Text us. Not that hard. I think one of the weirdest things I heard you say today was that the firework culture is one of the weirdest things you've ever been around. And I yeah. don't know this culture because I am afraid of fireworks. I, I don't mess with fireworks. I stay very far away from them. I'm the kid that was like, I don't want to go on the roller coaster. I don't want to do any of this. I'm fine not doing anything. Stacey, I don't need adrenaline. You don't need to purchase or shoot off fireworks to experience fireworks culture. Got it. Just go to the Muckleshoot Casino. Okay. That's where I've gone before. Just to like... Breathing the sulfur yeah. and just like the the ambiance around you, you soak it in. It you will have never experienced anything like it in your life, and uh, I, I'm just telling you, you got to do it before you die. I'm just saying. I just feel like that got really morbid. I know. Well, get busy living, get busy dying. That's what they taught us in Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to just transition. Okay, okay. I'm going to transition yeah, that, to this. That sounds good. We've been talking about the NFL and NFL PA negotiations uh, kind of a bit this offseason, but it sounds, according to a recent report, like that could be heating up more. That's in tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True is brought to you by ESPN's Dan Graziano, who reports... 
that CBA talks between the NFL and NFLPA will intensify this summer in order to get a new one in place by the start of the 2019 season. A couple things here. There's some interesting stuff that happens if they don't get one done. Obviously, everyone's worried about a lockout. Um, but there's also a bit of some a uh, bit of a contract workaround that happens for a couple teams if they don't get one done, which is that next season potentially uh, teams would be allowed to use both a franchise tag and a transition tag. So um, that's been something that we've talked about a bit. If you're looking at a situation like a Jaron Reed and Bobby Wagner, what do you do with both of those guys? I know John Clayton has talked about that. Um, he sounds more optimistic that something will get done. But given kind of the current power imbalance between NFL owners, the NFL, and its player union, does this feel a bit rushed to you? Yeah, I think it does. I think Richard Sherman, who we still pay attention to because of where he stands in the players' union, I believe he is the 49ers players' rep Mm -hmm. when it comes to that. And I think he's very high up in the, the hierarchy just based off of his, you know, veteranship in the league. He's talked a lot about how players need to to gear up and, and be ready for something in 2020. You know, start saving your pennies now, guys, yeah. because you know there's no guarantee that we're going to get onto the field in 2020. And so, you have somebody who's that high ranking in the players' union talking about that, and, and you know, being very vocal about possible dissension amongst the players union uh, in the relationship. When did he say this? He's tweeted it out okay. uh, a few times. Um, and then it, it, it's a stark contrast to what Dan Graziano is reporting. And it makes me wonder, is the players union entirely on the same page? If it sounds like the wording that Graziano used, it sounds like the goal is to get something done. It's not just to meet and talk about, potential CBA stuff. It sounds like they want to get something done before this season even starts. And so I wonder if that's the best route that the players union should take mm-hmm. because they've had, they've talked so much about how they're dissatisfied with the working conditions They're dissatisfied with, you know, pension that they receive and the health care that they mm-hmm. receive. And they're dissatisfied with, you know, non-guaranteed contracts. And they rightfully should be. I uh-huh. mean, I think I empathize quite a bit with the, uh, the feelings that the players have about what they want to change about the league. The thing that makes this tricky for me, if I'm a player, is that on the players' union side, you've got guys with different opinions, and you've got guys that might want different things. Um, everyone wants the players to be able to uh, be supported, be healthy, have time with their families, be able to support themselves and their families. And that's That's the long-term goal that everyone agrees on. But within that, you've still got some disputes about what people think matters more, what people are willing to sacrifice. And and you have, in your mind, some people are thinking you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit because there's it's attempting to be such a dramatic change from how it was. So you're asking for quite a bit instead of like, we're asking for a small change. For the NFL owners, I feel like literally all of them are on the same page. The last thing they want to do is a room full of billionaires give up power, any kind of power, whether it be decision making, whether it be a portion of proceeds that they take, whether it be how they fund stadiums, anything that disrupts that, none of them want to deal with that. So the advantage you have there is that all of you are on the same page and that just inevitably makes negotiations kind of weighted toward you because you aren't willing to budge. And when you have 
you know, 30 people around you saying, yeah, no, I agree we shouldn't, then it becomes a little easier. Yeah, I, I think the players union may end up making some sacrifices that they may not consider to be pertinent right now. What would be one of those that you would be willing to sacrifice or that you think they might? I think they might give up the fight in the 18-game schedule. Okay. In order to get something else out of it, whether it be better health care, whether mm-hmm. it be something. I think that's something that they would say, hey, hack off two preseason games because we don't need those. Convert them into regular season games. Yeah. Make it an 18-game schedule. I think that's something that could very well happen if the players' union is able to get some concessions. What's something you don't budge with? on? What's something you don't budge on if you're the players' union? I think if you go to 18 games, you say, hey, okay, give us guaranteed contracts then. 100% guaranteed? 100% guaranteed. They aren't getting that. Exactly. I mean, I think they should. I, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm rooting just, for again, them as I just well. mostly don't trust billionaires. No, you shouldn't. Because, you shouldn't trust a billionaire. No, because how did they get to where they are? They had to backstab somebody along the way. You don't get that. Be- you don't get a billion dollars by being totally honest your entire right, life. Right. You don't start up a lemonade stand. No. You get a billion dollars. Exactly. A little mom and pop shop. Yeah. That's what Amazon is. Exactly. Um, I think that's a concession we could end up seeing get made in these negotiations because for whatever reason, the players' union prioritizes a lot of things differently than the owners do. And I think the owners, if they could have it their way, uh, they'd go 18 games and then just have the NFL continue Mm -hmm. on as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The players' union, they're going to want a a much bigger share of the revenue pot that that gets divvied up every single year. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, especially if the owners say, we'll give up marijuana testing if you want to have, but you're you're not going to get a bigger chunk of the revenue. You guys are going to get all these things that you've wanted but we're also not going to concede from where we stand. I, Here's I look- where I think you could make them concede. Not Well, yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. Here's where you do have an advantage is I think popular opinion would for the most part side with players in that uh, the owners, I don't think, want a lot of disruption. I think they would love for it to be as a smooth an issue PR-wise as possible. The last thing you want to do is look like the bad guy. Um I think most people, some won't because some people just, I mean, I see the comments on our articles all the time. You'll write about any single thing happening to a player and someone will immediately say, well, he's a millionaire. I don't care. Well, this is someone who's also facing the risk of very long-term health issues because he's doing a job that he loves. And guess what? He's a lot better at it than you and everyone else. So he gets paid a lot of money by a billion dollar industry. But he also is dealing with some health scares as a result of that and the league is doing a poor job of helping players as they transition into those later stages in their life and i mean i think anyone that supports something like a union which which is usually supportive of people after they've retired i mean how is it any different from that so i think that the one thing they have is that most people can empathize with that and most people can say i love this player I, I understand wanting healthcare. I understanding wanting support from a place that I dedicate years of my life. So I think that fan support and fan pressure can put a little bit of pressure on owners. But when you're leaning on that, it probably means it's because you've gotten to a lockout. 
I'm kind of excited to see how the league is going to look. I think a lot of people are, are approaching it with a lot of trepidation because the NFL looks so much different now than it did 10 to 15 years ago. And, and from that point, it looked so much different from 10 to 15 years before that. But I, I think with each and every time that the owners and players can agree to something, mm-hmm. it, it puts the league in a better spot than it was in. Yeah. But, you know, there's still a lot of people, like a lot of people that we work with, Brock Hewer, Dave Wyman, very old school in how they view the NFL. For sure. That I think they're there's worried. There's current players that are like that, 25 yeah. years old that feel that exactly, way. Exactly, that I think they're going to worry that the game looks so drastically different than what it did years ago. But the thing is, the game already is so drastically different than it was. Like, the the game's not played with leather helmets anymore. Well, no, and people are still going to watch it. Look, if they make some random rule that makes people mad, you're still going to get 15 million people watching a game. Yeah. It's not going to change. No, not even a little bit. All right, coming up next, let's get into something a bit lighter. We're going to take all and any of your questions for Ask Us Anything. Text those questions into the Coors Light text line at 710-710. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Still working to get that uh, name kind of in the right order there. I, I believe it should be Stacey Rost, uh, Curtis Rogers, and Jake Heaps. So uh, welcome in. It's one of my favorite segments, Ask Us Anything. I am joined here with Curtis Rogers. And Curtis, are you ready for my first question? Uh, yes, uh, I'm I'm ready. Okay, as a reminder, you can continue to send these in. Text the Coors Light text line at 710-710. If I do not read your question, I will probably save it for another day because I always like saving really funny ones. Uh, Curtis. Stacy, What's something you didn't know you needed until you tried it? Didn't know I needed until I tried it. I would say... A weighted blanket on my bed. Oh, I've been wanting one for a really yeah. long time. I was afraid to get one, though, because it's summer, and I thought, well, what if I also, suffocate? Also, I, I got a MyPillow. Well, and what if it's too heavy? Yeah, that's the, it's not it's not too heavy. But I'm it's small. It's really good. Yeah, that's true. It might be too heavy for what if I What if it crushes me? I wish that they should have weighted blankets for different sizes of people I think not just do. a standard I, the standard i think is 12 pounds was it 15 or something yeah. i bet i could get like a 10 pound one i think yeah that'd be that'd be just right are me. you sleeping hard now with your mind pillow and your weighted blanket i am man uh, <laughs> so, that the thing is we're up so late doing this show get I, home i need to sleep get your and, taco bell yeah exactly and then hit the hay i'm out what about you have you ever related to taco bell uh found food like if you eat food in your bed have you ever had a moment of just like seeing food and being like i am a slob oh yeah okay absolutely anytime <laughs> i have like biscuits and gravy, exactly you see just like a piece of food and you're like oh man i slept with that the whole yeah. night <laughs> i know i've never experienced that uh something i didn't know i needed until i tried it out um man i don't know Shoot, I'm trying to think of food that I just didn't realize was good. I tried mustard very late in life. Oh wow! You know what I'll I say? Love mustard. I didn't try con like condiments were just not my thing. Like I would have plain hot dogs, plain burgers, uh, chicken nuggets, not dipped in anything. Let me tell you wow. what: ketchup and mustard are great. <laughs> Yo, you're so slow to the condiment game. I like, was so late, Stacy. I 
feel sorry for you. Here's the thing. I know I seem very fun and exciting now, and I'm just a force in this office. But I, as a child, was afraid of everything. Roller coasters, Mm -hmm. seasoning. It didn't didn't matter. So Uh, a roller coaster that, like... Had the Heinz ketchup logo oh, on my that nightmare. Yeah, that no, I just want to go worst. home and eat plain chicken. <laughs> what conspiracy theory do you believe in the most? Uh, 100% I believe that Stevie Wonder can see. He, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? he can see. Curtis, Stevie that's a, Wonder can absolutely that's see. That's not he has true. 2020 vision. Do you really believe? It? I yes, don't. I no, do. you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Curtis, you're trying to be funny. Stacy, there are videos online of Stevie Wonder like catching things. Because he's been blind his whole life, he can probably hear it. How would he know what? To, how would he know how to catch? He's how does never a receiver seen know anyone. when to catch? I've seen Luke Wilson catch something over Stevie his shoulder. Stevie Wonder's never seen anybody catch anything, so how would he know the but proper? He's caught hand things move? before. No, he hasn't. You, they, when you are blind, all of your other senses get stronger. You don't think, well, Catching you don't think, you know, who's throwing something at Stevie Wonder and not saying like, hey, Steve, no heads up. I no bet one's he's throwing like anything at him. I've seen a video him. of him catch a mic stand as it's falling. Yeah, because he can probably, maybe that was good luck. How would Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder is blind, Curtis. How would Stevie Wonder know how to smile? That makes no sense. How would Stevie Wonder know where to look why, when a camera is on him? Why would he not know how to smile? Because he doesn't know what a smile looks like. Curtis. Stacy. Let me think of the one I believe in the most. <laughs> okay. You're just uh, you just never thought that da, da, way. Da, 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 da. You're thinking with your mind's eye right now and you're worried that you're just never gonna see life you the same way again. We're so quick with that theory. It's because I believe it. Um mine are the boring ones, like uh, uh believing that like uh Michael Jordan, like the flu game oh, stuff, and like and that he is, the dra- NBA draft. Like we've talked about. Well, this Michael before. Jordan's first retirement was to settle gambling debts, and not because of yeah. his retirement. Yeah, I think it's because I've lost faith in all people. Mm-hmm. Um, last question. Okay, I I like this one, Curtis. Have you ever had a supernatural experience? Supernatural, like ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? Not really. No. What's not really? It's yes or no. I mean, I just... It's not I, like I believe in ghosts sometimes. I you just, either do or you don't. I don't. You don't? Yeah, no. You don't believe in ghosts? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, there have been some... Like, one time, this was after my grandma had passed away. Like, it was over a year after she had passed away, mm-hmm. and we found a gift under the Christmas tree from her addressed to my sister. That was wild. Wait, didn't your parents leave it? No. It was like a gift card, so... Yeah, that was pretty wild. Wouldn't it be funny if it was like TJI Fridays? It was like or, a Starbucks card or something. It's like Arby's. Yeah. Thanks, Grandma. Yeah, uh, I've heard lots of ghost stories. I always used to get so creeped out by them, and I like them. And there's moments when you wake up at 2 a.m. and it's kind of dark and you're really delirious and you think, is that a demon in my room? But overall, I don't believe in ghosts. But that being said, um, my uh, my stepdad, his he was so he was born in 44, so... So he's just from a different time. Yeah. And his, uh, but he's lived in this house his whole life. So this house is very old. And um, when I go into the basement, there's always like old family memorabilia and stuff that they had. There's no windows. It's a scary basement. So I, I'll go down there to like get something. And, and I don't do it now as an adult. Um, 
all the time, but as a <laughs> but as a child or like teen, whenever I went down there, I was convinced that the ghost of his mom was in there. Whoa. And so if I saw things, like if I had to move over some picture frames to get to like, I don't know, something that I needed, like wrapping paper, I would always do it very gently or I'd be like, what beautiful photos? Because you got to stay on good terms with the ghost in the basement. Anyways, it's the end of that. So I think I ended on a strong note. I think you did. I think you did. Thank you so much. Uh, we will be off uh, tomorrow and back with you next week for another round of Seattle Sports at Night. Until then, for Curtis Rogers, I'm Stacy Ross. Thanks for tuning in to Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.